Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Usually at this uh, opening of the program, I uh, go to some uh, grand introduction of our guest, uh, but I almost don't want to do it this time. I just want to get our guest to speak, and as soon as he opens his mouth, I guarantee you, you will know exactly who he is. So... Please, sir, tell us who you are. Hi, my name is Fred Boddicker. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Fred, your voice is just, it's in so many people's heads. Yeah, I, I, I do get that a lot. You, and yeah. uh, it's an amazing thing, but it's interesting that I never knew that I had a voice like this. Because, really? Well, because in the 60s, there weren't many tape recorders around. You know, they were a rare thing. And uh, when I was at teacher's training college... I was studying to be a teacher, obviously, and uh, we had a, a, a de- the dean of women would, would take us for sessions every now and then for etiquette for male teachers around young children. You mm-hmm. know? And when I would leave that session, she'd say, you've got to do something about that voice of yours. And I thought it was a criticism <laughs> coming from a, from a you know, immigrant family, you know, maybe sounding a bit ethnic, I don't know. And she'd always, have you done something about that voice of yours? And then... Many years later, bing, the penny it happened. Yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, you don't know my family all sound the same. You know, my my son uh, worked on a, a univer- university radio station for a while and somebody rang up and said, yeah. what the hell are you doing on the uni station? So, oh, you, you guys having a family argument must sound like a thunderstorm or something. I can right? imagine, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shake the walls. <laughs> <laughs> so it took a while. For you to realise that you had this, uh, this, this these well, golden tonsils. Well, I didn't. It, it was a moment. Yeah. I mean, it was a moment that caused it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, an absolute Goliath on the Perth uh, radio scene, which we'll get into a, in a little bit. But um, you are a Kiwi. Yes. Yeah. But uh, a migrant family to New yeah. Zealand. The only one in my family who was born in New Zealand. Right. My mum and dad and my brothers and sister were all born in Croatia. Okay. So from Croatia yep. to New Zealand. Yes. How did that happen? Well, my grandfather first went to New Zealand in 1895. Right. And went back to Croatia in 1899. My dad was born in 1903. Yeah. And then he and my granddad and my granddad's brother went back to New Zealand in the 1920s when things were pretty tough in Europe. Yep. Just, they would go just to work. Right. They would do lots of the, the big jobs. There was a lot of infrastructure work going on in New Zealand. That's a... That's a hell of a journey for for work, though, isn't it? But, you know, that's why I complain when people say they've got to go across town to get a job. You know? I mean, <laughs> let me tell you a story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really, but that's what it was. It was like that. What, what, what's the journey on a, on, a, on a boat? It was about a five-week like journey. Yeah, right. Yeah. Extraordinary. They, yeah, they did that a lot. So, and, and my dad did, did that twice between the wars and in the second uh, time out. 
Uh, you've got to get a bit of my family history now. So uh, he, he went out in the late 30s, and then he sent for my oldest brother yep. to go out to help him with his education because uh, he was living and working out of Auckland then. And uh, my brother went out, and then the Second World War broke out. So my dad and my oldest brother were in New Zealand. My mum, two brothers, and my sister were in a village of Rochester on the yep. island of Cortula, which was invaded by the Italians and the Germans. And a uh, plan was hatched to escape. Mm. And uh, behind our village, it's a tiny little bay that, where the road ends on the northern coast of the island. Uh, it goes up to a 1,000 feet mm. where there's olive trees and grapevines used to be. And they decided to escape. And my mum comes from a long line of family of herbalists. Marco right. Polo was born on Croatia, even though it was under the rule of Venice in those days. Everybody thought it was Venetian, but it was under the rule of Venice, which everything was in, that, in those days. Yep. So he bought Chinese plants and medicines that still grow on that island. And wow. my mum uh, came f- from that uh, family of healers. Uh, and uh, she knew a way in the dark. So she led everybody out in the dark over to the other side of the island where they got into some small boats, went to the end of the island, got into bigger boats, and two months later they arrived at the north coast of Africa in Egypt, and they lived in a refugee camp for two years in the desert. I feel like there should be a movie. Well, people have said that. Well, I have written a book at last, so, you know, telling all this stuff but it's amazing it's amazing so and i anyway after the war a ship came to that camp and took anybody that wanted to go it was the rangataiki to take people to australia and new zealand if they wanted to and because my dad was already in new zealand obviously my mum got there and i was the product of their reunion yeah wow that was, that was <laughs> simple as that yeah <laughs> Not that we want to uh, dwell on our <laughs> our, our own uh, you know moment of conception, but uh, <laughs> well, you know that's the story I kept getting told. You know, you're lucky you were here. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, look, you know, you're obviously uh, the, the the product of a happy moment, a happy reunion, yeah. Fred. <laughs> and 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 to you know how I got into radio is because my dad was a fisherman. Yeah. So I was a, my, my we come from a fishing village. I only got a road mm. to it in 1962. Mm. It's still a fishing village, and my, I would be on my dad's boat from the my youngest memories. Yep. I would even when the boat was in on a fishing trip, I could walk down to the wharf. Yep. And I'd sleep on the boat because I just loved being on the fishing boat. Yeah. I mean, now you think, why would you want to be on a fishing boat? But as a kid, it was a real adventure for me. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Croatia in the recent World Cup final. Uh, you would have been barracking pretty, oh, pretty hard for them. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so you still feel some some pull to Croatia? Oh, of course. I mean, I, I describe myself as a New Zealand-born Croatian. Yeah. You know, because I, my mum didn't speak English, mm. so I lived in the same house for twenty years, and we never spoke English in the house mm. because my dad said, you know, mum's my mum never went to school, mm. so never learnt to yeah. learn, and. Um, uh, he would say we we always speak Croatian at home. Okay, so that, and I'm glad that happened because so, I speak it now. Yeah, obviously we uh, you know Australia has a has a proud history of pinching the Kiwis that we like and claiming them as our own. We've got to claim you from Croatia. <laughs> yeah, really, all, all, that's true. But you know, via New Zealand, yeah, yeah. <laughs> via New Zealand, I'm a Kiwi. I was born in New Zealand. Yes, yes. Um, you came to Perth though uh, in the in the 80s. Uh, you've come all the way from New Zealand, and, and I do want to ask you more about uh, you know your your radio days in New Zealand. But just paint a picture for us, if you would, Perth in what was it about nineteen eighty six? Eighty six, February eighty six, February eighty six. Yes. Um, memories of Perth when you first landed here. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. It was it was pretty exciting because I w- had been involved in uh, the first FM station in New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, eighty six FM. 
uh, sorry, 89 FM, and uh, confused with 96. And then uh, about two years afterwards, it was taken over by an Australian company. Yeah. And I walked out because I didn't like what they were doing. Because, you know, we really had you know, just the way it was. So I, yep. I decided, no, this is what I don't want. And I, so I just walked out of the radio station. And Gary Roberts, who I used to work with in New Zealand, had come yep. to Perth to start 96FM right. as the first program director. So I got a phone call from him saying, I hear you walked out of 89. I went, yeah. He said, do you want a job here? And I went, keep talking. <laughs> and so that was it. Simple as that. And he said, well, I need you here really quickly. And I think it was two weeks. My daughter was away on holiday yep. and not contactable by phone. And uh, she came home and she said, where's all the furniture? <laughs> and I said, we're moving to Australia. <laughs> so she came with you? Uh, she did, yeah. 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 Wow. What a what a culture change, though. Uh, well, not, not really, you know, because, I mean, I... I think I think this city has the best uh, of any capital city on the planet. Yeah, there's no no other that has a climate like Perth. Mm. Really, yeah. The climate here is fantastic. Yeah, it's hard and to it bet, spoils isn't it? you. Yeah, you get here, and so many Kiwis have said the same thing. You get here, and it's like, why would you want to leave? Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. You know? Yeah, and. And it's come on as a city so much, especially yeah. in the last 15 years. Well, that's why I was I, I'm keen to hear what your first thought when you landed here in, in 1986, you know, because well, it, it was it was kind yeah. of the Wild West. It, it, it was. It was a big town. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like a big town, but with great beaches. And I was a windsurfer. Gary knew this, of course. Yeah, so, and, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I even had a windsurfing business here for a while. Uh, but I was you know, used to go to Hawaii a lot, you know, yeah. uh, international competitions. So coming here, that, that was yeah. brilliant. I mean, I... Everything came on the katanas, but I bought my windsurfers with me mm. on the plane so I could head straight mm. out to the beach. You know? Brilliant. Yeah. What a lifestyle. We need to head to a break, Fred, but uh, I want to hear more of uh, your radio days in New Zealand, particularly pirate radio, because sure. uh, I, I just love the idea of pirate radio. It just plays to that rebellion, Arr. doesn't it, uh, <laughs> in, uh, in the early days of radio. So we'll hear more of that uh, right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories, uh, where in this edition we are hearing the story uh, of the one and only Fred Boddicker. Fred, you, you've just given us some insight into your uh, your incredible uh, family journey uh, that took you from Croatia to New Zealand and then from you here uh, to Perth. But uh, your radio beginnings uh, in New Zealand, uh, there's a story uh, in itself there. I, I, you know, people who have, have an interest in the history of radio, uh, I think, you know, you, you, you love the... Um, the rebellious side of it, the disruptive side of it, you know, the rule-breaking uh, moments that radio was able well, to, was called to, pirate to deliver. Radio. Yeah. And pirate radio is such a great story. And yeah. uh, I suppose m- many people might not know that you were very much a part of that. Well, uh, only in the in the latter part, you know. I, I, w- I was there in 90, December 1966. I was sitting in my dad's car in his garage waiting for this pirate station to start broadcasting. And my yep. dad said, what the bloody hell are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm waiting for a pirate station to come on here. You're listening to bloody static. You know, <laughs> he didn't, you know, and I said, no, just, li- li-, you know, and I waited for that first moment for yep. that radio station to start. So I, let me explain. So New Zealand's laws were exactly the same as Great Britain's, where yep. all broadcasting was owned by the government. Yep. And Radio Caroline also started in 1966 in uh, in Great Britain. Yep. For that same reason. Yep. 
and Radio Hauraki started in 96, December 66 in New Zealand. And it became the only one to actually establish a, a full-time license, and I ended up working for them for many years. But it wasn't until the last six months. So let me tell you, if you, I can tell you the story. So I was a, a sign writer. Yeah. I was going to be a teacher. I decided I didn't want to be indoors because I'd worked for a sign writing company at Coca-Cola, who was near where I, I lived. So I decided to do a sign writing apprenticeship with the Coca-Cola company, mm-hmm. Coca-Cola Butler in, in Auckland. And the pirate station started, and obviously Coca-Cola got involved with the pirate station as a sponsor. And uh, there were times when the government brought in laws that anybody advertised uh, with the pirate station. I was going to say it would have been a, a renegade move oh, for sure a sure was, like but Coke, you, know, you couldn't claim it for tax purposes. And Coca-Cola said, no, no, we get better deal out of you know, yep. doing it with these guys. So I got to know the guys at the radio station because when they would do a like a, a, a royal show kind of thing. I do the sign writing for them. I was the youngest guy in the sign shop, you know, and listened to the radio station all the time. And uh, was doing that. And then uh, every five weeks, there was a spare bunk out on the boat, which was out 48 miles from the city. Yeah. Out in international waters between Great Barrier Island and the top of the Coromandel so Peninsula. You, just, for, just for those not familiar with the, the, the concept of pirate radio, you, you had to... Take your you had to station, broadcast from international broadcast waters. From international Otherwise, waters. they yep. could seize all your transmitter and yep. a- anything. And so that was how far you had to go. Yeah, you had to be offshore in, in mm. international waters. So uh, every five weeks, there was a spare bunk on the boat, and the program director Ian McGann, who I knew, said, "Do you want to go out to the boat for a for a week?" And it was December, and I great weather. I said, "Yeah, mm. look, I'll take my gear out and you know touch mm. up the signs on the boat." So I went out to the boat and. Uh, did my sign, I wrote the good guys, which is they used to call themselves the good guys on the on the under under the wheelhouse, uh, and was there. And uh, anyway, all of a sudden, a storm hit, as does at sea, you know. Yeah. And this thing sat on a mooring in the middle of the ocean, kind yeah. of thing. So it got pretty rough. A hundred and twenty foot mast. Yeah. It was an old flat bottom boat, started rocking around, and everybody got really sick. There was a new guy from Australia who'd gone on board. They had to put him on a crayfish boat and take him ashore to the to Great Barrier Island. He was that sick. Wow. Know? Anyway, I said, look, I'm fine. Can I do anything? And they radioed back to land to Ian McGann, the program director, and they said, and he said, put him on the air. So I said, and the guy said, you better get some sleep. <laughs> so it was 1 o'clock to 6 a.m., 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. Because lo- the live, from the, shift. Yeah, live from the ship was mid-dawn, mm-hmm. breakfast, and a 12 to 2 lunch show. All the rest was pre-recorded, and the tapes would be sent out from the, you know, the super jocks on shore. Yeah. <laughs> so that night, you know, I just lay in my bunk awake thinking, what the hell am I going to do? You know, I went on the air that night, and I never stopped. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did four nights, I think it was. I came ashore. We, land, we used to fly by amphibian aircraft. Landed at Mechanics Bay in Auckland. Came up, and the program director and the and the station manager were there. And the guys on the boat and the plane said, "No, oh, they're never there to meet us. What's going on?" <laughs> and I came up, and Ian uh, handed me a tape. He said, "Here's a tape of your first show." And then David said, "Do you want a job?" And I said, "Doing what?" He said, "Being on the air." He said, "You sound great." And I, you know, it was quite confusing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was married. I had a kid. I had a kid on the way, and. Uh, I went and talked to my wife, and she agreed, and uh, that was it. I, yeah. I started working on the on the pirate radio station for the last six months. Have you still got that tape? No. No? Nobody's ever going to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, a lot of music, though. Uh, it was at, all at about music. Yeah. But, you know, when you're doing the show on your own, I suppose you do have to you, you have to have a conversation with your audience, didn't you? So did you find that... That just came naturally to you? It, it did, yeah, but I was always a listener. So, you know, I, I, I was born in 1947, and 
you know, radio was, you know, uh, uh, it was it was boring. It was really boring. But rock and roll started in mm. 1955, 56. You know? So it was all this new music, and uh, you couldn't hear it except for two shows on the government mm. station twice mm. a week. And then when Radio Harrogate started, they played it every hour, every day. So... It was, you know, for somebody growing up who was into rock and roll, Yeah, that was all it was. I mean, it was all about the music, really. Yeah. It was more the music, and there was a music radio station. Were you a music nut prior to well, being I don't exposed know. I to, just to loved being music. Yeah, always, yeah. from day one. I mean, I remember I went to, to see Blackboard Jungle at the Saturday matinee, and I heard Rock Around the Clock, and everybody got up and started dancing in the picture theatre. And it mm. was like, what? You know, <laughs> nobody had done that before, you know? Yeah. It was the waltz and the pasodoble and the yeah. foxtrot. Um, so rock and roll was this new thing, and it was free form. Yep. And this was the change that happened in society. The 60s, I mean, I'm glad I witnessed that change in society through the 60s where you it went from being boring and straight. And it was. It was just the way it was. You know, we've yep. been through two world wars, all that kind of thing, for the, mm. the British Commonwealth or the Empire, whatever you wanted to call it, mm. as it was in those days. And all of a sudden we had this thing called rock and roll that changed the world. It mm. really did. Mm. It had a massive impact. Changed your world in particular. Oh, incredibly yeah. so. Incredibly so. So, uh, being out on the boat and broadcasting, six months or so of that, and then after that, what you got to so we used broadcast to do, from the comforts of, of solid, dry land. Well, we used to do two weeks on and one week off if you were on the on the boat. Yeah. And you got paid for the three weeks, which was, you know, and you needed to, really, because it, yeah. it got boring. We used to do the stupidest things. We'd climb the mast and jump FIFO in. FIFO radio. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. Yeah, it was FIFO radio, definitely. Um but it was pretty tough. And anyway, when I, we finished and I, I was doing mid-dawns and I said, was talking to Ian McGann and I said, well, you know, uh, they got a license now, you know, and I thought, do I get a gig doing mid-dawn? He said, no, no, I haven't got a job for you. Well, I just like, my heart sank. What would you have done then? Well, he said, I've arranged something else for you. Yeah. So what else happened at that time was the first country privately owned radio station was established in a place called Fokatani in the Bay of Plenty, Radio 1 mm. X. Glad you said that, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, it was fun saying it. So uh, he he organized a job for me there. Yeah. And I went there, and and that was a great idea because he said, that's right, he said to me, once an apprentice, always an apprentice. Yeah. And having been a sign writer, I know what that meant. Yeah. You know, if you're the junior in a place, unless you go away and come back, you're always the junior, no matter what your qualifications are. It's a a truth, really, it is. So I went there, and then they got me back to Radio Hierarchy two and a half years later, where okay. I stayed until uh, 1983. Okay. Not, not that long then before you uh, made the trek over here to Perth, uh, which I want to ask you about after we take sure. another break, because uh, we haven't even arrived yet at, uh, at, at Bodica's Bunch, which no, is such no, a, not at all, yeah. a mainstay and a dominant force on the radio for, for so many years. So uh, all of that uh, coming up. Uh, Fred Bodica is our special guest. Uh, this is WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882-6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Fred Bonica. Fred, uh, I think we've uh, we've covered the uh, the pre-Perth days. Yeah. Um, 1986, you arrive here uh, to what was then uh, our very first uh, FM 
radio station yes. here, 96FM, heady yeah. days. The reason that happened is that Gary Roberts, who came over here yep. as the first program director, worked with me in Auckland mm-hmm. uh, back in the, in the late 70s. So there was that connection, and yep. I, I had worked with an FM station in Auckland. And then uh, when I walked out of there, he said, why don't you come to Perth? Mm. So I was pleased to get here. Phenomenal success story, wasn't it, in those early days? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, ratings like um, nobody ever sees yeah. or will ever see again, you know. Yep. But, but you know, it was always – it's. There's a, there were a group of people, you know, and they happened to be in Auckland and Perth, I think, who did things for the listener. Yeah, you know, we used to have commercial free hours on 96FM. Mm. You know, mm. That's because you're there for the listener. Mm. And, you know, corporations, because, you know, they have accounts mm. that look at uh, bottom lines and they mm. have a, a different mm. philosophy about mm. it all. So it, I was lucky to be involved in two radio stations yep. that had that philosophy mm. where you were there for the listener. Yeah. I'm, I'm just old enough, I think, to still remember how much at Blue Pebbles Minds uh, going from hearing AM quality radio to hearing that, that FM well. quality. The yeah. music just came alive, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. For both ears. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, yeah, people will know you most from your time uh, at 94.5. Can you talk us through uh, that chapter where you've made the switch over from, from one to the other? Well, the reason that happened, it was the same old story as, as a corporate. There was a, an ownership change at 96FM, yeah. and Gary Roberts left to go to, uh, to KY, 6KY, mm-hmm. which became KYFM, mm-hmm. which became 94.5. Yep. So when he left, I said, could you I come, went, could I you come with to, you? Is this the Triple M when it became Triple M? Is that, is that at that stage? That was, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. When 96 became Triple M. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, and, and with it came, what, a whole new culture that, you didn't necessarily necessarily want to align with. No, and that happened to be in New Zealand. It was Triple M that took over the Auckland station I worked for as well, and they said, mm. triple your music. And I just said, we used to play more music before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a pretty natural shift. It uh, was. And, and, and Gary is... Uh, uh, David Gapes, who started Radio Haragi, and mm. Gary Roberts, mm. you know, uh, are the two managers who I have the greatest respect for. Mm. Great radio people. You know, yep. There's something about... A, Somebody who you call a great radio man, you know, yep. who, who... Just get it. Yeah. Exactly. Brutal hours. They can be brutal hours, particularly breakfast radio. Um, obviously, you're up early, but, uh, you know, a lot of people get up early uh, and do whatever jobs they're doing early in the day. But, I mean, it's one thing to get up early in the morning. It's another thing to be on, to almost be at your peak of the day that early in the day. Yeah. Um, was that something that came easily to you? It did, and funnily enough, this is, a, again, because I've written this book. And by the way, it's going to be called... Give it a plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure Beats Working is the title of the book. Uh, I started delivering morning newspapers when I was 10 years old in Auckland. Yep. And uh, when I went to uh, high school, my dad was a fisherman at the markets, and yep. I got a job unloading trucks at the f- fruit and vegetable markets, getting yep. up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I... I Already had got up early and got into that it's habit already of programmed being, into you. Yeah, you know, without yeah. not knowing my future. So when yeah. breakfast radio came, I, I never once woke up and thought, I've got to go to work. Yeah, ever. Yeah, you know, I it, it never, you know, even on those it, cold, it sure beats windy, windy, rainy mornings. It you'd... didn't matter because you get in your car and your garage and you drive to the radio station and you park in the building and you get into a studio and you look out the window and tell everybody about how terrible the weather is. But yeah. I never it was it never entered my head yeah. that I had to go to work. Talk us through how, you know, Bodica's bunch 
came to be because obviously you know chemistry uh, within your team is uh, is one of those things that everyone you know involved in a radio program wants to achieve, but uh, often there's no science to it, is there? It just happens no. or it doesn't. So we uh, we. When we went to 94.5, mm-hmm. and the, the, the more than one person in the studio trip was starting to happen around Australia. Yep. And uh, so we decided that we do that. And uh, I tried a couple out before yep. that didn't work so well because, you know, it, it's it's like a marriage. Mm. It, you know, you spend four to six hours a day with each other. You have to get yeah. on with it. Until Lisa, Lisa Shaw, who uh, had moved to, to Melbourne to work from Perth, yep. came back and decided that you know, she wanted to come back to Perth. And we just clicked immediately. Yep. And, and that's what it's got to be. Mm. You know, I think it's like any relationship. Yeah. Or a, a rela- it has to Can you put your finger on what the, the, the secret was to that Humor, success? I think we laughed. Yeah. You know, I love a laugh. I mean, I think nothing better than, you know, laughter is the best medicine. Particularly I mean, at the it, start of the it, day. It really is. You know, it, it always is. I mean, I, you want to laugh. Yeah. And she had a great wit. And so she blew me away, you know. Mm. So you think, oh, I've got to work with her. So, mm. And that was it. You know, we really wanted to work with each other. Mm. And um, it really grew. The yep. relationship grew. I'm, I probably had more experience than her, but I, you know, I, I figured I allowed her to be who she was as well. Yeah. And that yep. worked for me. So yep. it, it, it just worked. Were you very managed? I mean, you often hear about, uh, you know, brutal uh, air check sessions after you never come did off, one come off it you never had an air check never did one there'd be yeah. people out there who work in radio one. right now hearing you say yeah. that going how did you get away with that well you know if you needed <laughs> to you probably would and i used to listen to some of my stuff sometimes but it used to just make me angry yeah you know because it's just like you listen for the wrong reason i think mm. you know when you're on the air that's what's happened and mm. that's what's radio it's mm. it's gone mm. you know? it's uh, it, it's in it's the done. ether you can't bring it back you can't change anything so yeah. what's the point yeah I think it's got to be live. And that's the great thing about radio. It's live. It's the adrenaline. Yep. You know, being live is you have got adrenaline mm. going through your body like you wouldn't believe. Did that adrenaline diminish as time went on? No. Or you always had that, that always. heart pumping? Always. There were, you know, I can't use the word, but you were always a split second from making a big of yourself. Yep. You know, you, <laughs> insert whatever really word you want. want there. It really was. You know, you, yeah. you were a split second away from yeah. you know really mucking up. And it can be merciless, can't it? Because p- people have yes. had their careers end definitely yeah. uh, on the end of one quip that comes out wrong. And I'm a shocker. I come from a family of swearers. Yeah, you know, my dad, you know, being a cry, you know an immigrant, uh, he yeah he, swear words were just common language. And I, yeah. and I swear when I speak, I'm, but I never swore once on the air. You know, so well, well played. Well, you, yeah, I think you just don't. You know, yeah. you, you just were don't. you in delay? Never. Oh, no. we were in the later days when they yeah. made it compulsory. But for me, worked most of my time on the. So air you didn't even delay. have that uh, get out of jail card. No, up your sleeve. But you just didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't want to mm. do that, really. Mm. Uh, Captain Paul, as well, another uh, crucial part of your team. Yeah, that was fan- a fantastic relationship. That that you know, and another one of these ideas that. That grew, you know. Yep. We decided that you know Perth was growing as a city. You know, the the, the traffic problems were, were mm. growing, and we needed to do something about it. So we contacted the local aero, aero club, and uh, Paul was the guy who's. Uh, oh no, it was Captain. No, sorry, we had Captain Phil first. That's right, <laughs> I forgot about that. So we got this guy Phil who was there, and uh, so he started doing the first reports on the show. Yeah, and he was really good. But anyway, he got a job offer to go to Melbourne, I think. And he said, "I've got this other guy here who you might like to talk to, mm. Paul Shepherd." And that was uh, we just changed yeah. Phil for Paul, and mm. Captain Paul took over, and then that relationship grew. We, you know, again, it's just that 
dynamic thing that mm. thing that happens, even though he was never in the studio mm. and he was in the air. Yeah. We developed a great relationship. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it worked for years. For a, for a long, long time. Long, long time. Yeah. Um, over the years, too, you also brought uh, Chris Mainwaring yep. uh, into the fold, who was a huge part of your show for, what, a, a decade or so. Ten years, yeah. You became... A close friend of his. Oh, great mates, great mates. I mean, yeah. well, you know, last year was the 10th anniversary of his, of his yeah. death, and when it was an amazing sight down at, at uh, just out at Cottesloe on, on the roof mm. there when everybody swam out and we scattered his ashes, you know, mm. in a big circle. You know. Oh, he, he was a great guy, you know. I mean, yeah. I was at 96FM when the West Coast Eagles started, so yep. we, were, we were sponsors, so I got involved, and I was an AFL convert, you know. Mm. Neil Brooks was my sports reporter in those days. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so it was, Neil was a sports reporter, and we would go to the football together, and he... It's interesting, when you watch a sport, if you haven't watched it live, it's hard to understand it when you see it on television, mm. because you don't have that uh, yep. whole take. And AFL's even mm. hard, more difficult. Oh, totally. You know, it's just yeah. field. So Brooksy would sit there and tell me all the stuff, so I became an instant fan. And then got to know Maney, mm. uh, bumped into him at a couple of party situations. And uh, and when Brooksy decided that he was going to leave, we offered that job to to Maney yeah. to, to be our sports reporter. It's such, such a loved it. figure, wasn't he? You know, uh, I... Uh, not just in, in the sporting He, he was an community. amazing guy. He was an mm. you know, amazing Jero boy. Yeah. You know, the country boy who came down here. His mum used to drive him down from Geraldton, you know, yeah. to come down here to play football. Yeah. It was his mum, because she's a Crips. Yeah. You know, yep. Used to drive him down here. Mm. And uh, he was just... A, but he, he had movie star looks. You mm. know, he'd flash that smile and you'd melted your heart. You know, he was great. At, and, and, you know, he never disappointed his fans because it, we'd go somewhere. And, oh, matey, you know, mm. and he would sign anything I got. He'd have a big smile. Mm. I was I used to be in awe of him, of how he treated his fans. Yeah. He was brilliant, you know. Yep. So people loved him. But yep. it was genuine. It wasn't, yep. it wasn't a put-on thing. Yeah. That was Maney, you know. He was a country boy at heart who had become really famous. Yep. And um, that was him, you know. Do you remember where you were uh, when you got that that terrible news? Yeah, I was at the grand final. That it was a long weekend. A long weekend, of course. When the grand final, I was, I'd gone oh five, oh six, oh seven. I'd gone to those three grand finals. We won at oh six. Mm. Went again in oh seven. On the Friday morning before that grand final, Maney called into the weekend to say mm. to me, uh, uh, "I'm not going to the grand final because we were going together." Mm. I said, why not? He said, oh, things at home are a bit rough. Uh, I'm yep. not going. Were you aware of, of problems in his life during uh, those those last few years? Not really. Not 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 to not to the extent of what happened. Mm. You know, mm. not to that extent. Everybody has you know relationship yeah. problems and all that kind of thing. And th- there was obviously problems. Anyway, I was in, I was at the airport on the Monday morning on the holiday Monday to fly back to yep. Auckland, and Steve Mummery, who was our program director in those days, called me. Yeah. To give me that news, yeah, that Mania had died. Yeah, it was such a shock. I'm just, oh. it's all sort of coming back to me now. And uh, yeah. yeah, one of those, surely no, it can't be true. Yeah, sort of moments. It really but, was. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's very missed, isn't he? Yeah, oh, he was an amazing guy. Yeah, and and and, and, a, and a member of a great football yeah. era. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Alex Lloyd, another figure that uh, you became close to over the years. Yeah. Why, why did you gel with Alex Lloyd so I, much? I just loved his music. Yeah. You know, and he was a nice guy. You know, yeah. I mean, my the great thing about my job is you meet some amazing people. Yeah. You know, I, I have, I've been lucky enough to meet the most incredible people, and I, I've spent time lucky enough to even... 
I didn't intend to, mm. but I managed just, to just spend... click with certain people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hung out with Neil Young for a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, I mean that that story alone still blows me out yeah. that that happened. You know, yeah. Um, I hung out with I got Bob Geldof to come out and do a week of shows for me. You know, yeah. just out of a I'd rung him to talk about his first solo album. Yeah, and uh, we were chatting away, and, and I rushed into Gary Roberts' office. I said. Uh, He'd sound great on the radio, and mm. Gary, without it, without even thinking, said, "Tell him he can bring his family out here. We'll put him up on a, a hotel at the beach, and if he does a, a week of shows with us, yeah." And that's how it happened. You know, wow, so it came out, and that was that's probably my favourite week of radio in my entire. Career. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. So you had Bob in basically every day. So I did the breakfast show, yeah, and in the afternoon I would pick him up from the hotel. We'd have a bit of a smoke on the way into the radio station, and we would. Pick the records then that we yep. would talk about that day, and yep. he would just tell these amazing, amazing stories, stories because yep. he's an Irishman, he had the gift of the gab. <laughs> and I, you know, so it was just an amazing experience. Yep. And we had people talk about that for a long time. Yep. There was a guy who said he had to go south as a traveling salesman, and he he would he would wait here and he'd watch the show, then he'd drive down and he'd make mm. sure he'd be back the next day yep. to catch that show. Yeah. You know, so many people were captivated by it. And it was yeah. amazing. And we I think between the two of us, we put together some great sets of music. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Fred Bodica is our guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories. We need to take a break. Uh, we'll have more with uh, Fred right after this here on 882.6br. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. And we are hearing the inspiring story of the one and only Fred Bodica. Fred, uh, you would have met some extraordinary people uh, in your for sure. time on radio. You've mentioned a couple of those uh, those figures, but the absolute standouts, the ones that you go, wow, they were amazing people that you clicked with. Bob Geldof? Yep. Because he's Sir Bob. I mean, yep. And he is an amazing man. Yep. There's no doubt about that. And, and the, the one, you know, and there's been lots of them. David Bowie, an incredible person. Yep. Uh, but the standout one for me was Neil Young. Yeah. And the fact that I actually got to hang out with him for a while mm. was just uh, one of my best life experiences. Because you know? I, I think people, you know, when they when they hear them uh, on the radio or see them on TV or whatever, they, they, they don't necessarily get the, the real version of that person away from the microphones and the cameras well, when perf- you're hanging out with them. They're performers. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, the place where they are, what most people see, is the stage or yes. the performance. Yeah. But that's their their gig. That's I their won't call job. it a job. But, yeah. Well, it is, but it's Kinda, their gig. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is their job. And away yeah. from that, they're really ordinary people. Yeah. You know? What uh, was it about Neil then that uh, that that made him stand out for you? He's just the classic unspoilt dude yep. who's so talented. Yeah. You know, like the guys. The guys amazing. When you think of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, you know, yep. like all of that Woodstock, mm. you know, and then his solo career, the great albums and music that he produced with a voice that probably most people would ignore. Do you know what yep. I mean? You know, yep. but there's something about Neil yeah. and his music that was yeah. just incredible. And the fact was that he could play acoustic music. And he could play grunge as good as anybody. Well, it was interesting when the whole grunge movement came up, and uh, you know it, it was seen by many. And you know, obviously, I, I was I was a teenager when you know when when Nevermind Nirvana's Nevermind yeah. came out, and it sort and of who do they tribute? everyone latched onto it in, yeah. a, in such a big way. But uh, you know, when you when you heard from those 
artists and, you know, Pearl Jam and all, all of those that were part of that grunge movement, they all said Neil, Neil Young, Young is the godfather. His, you know, black, his black, his guitar is yeah. incredible. So he, and when he did his live shows, he would do the the first part of the show would be acoustic. Yeah. And, he, you know, how's this for musical integrity? The, the piano that he recorded after the gold rush, mm. he would bring onto the, would come up, was on the stage for that one song, that mm. he, you know, old, old mm. wooden piano that he played that on. And he would do this acoustic set of all mm. the stuff that he did. Mm. And then it was like, uh, okay, I'm going to take a break and we'll come back and play some electric music. <laughs> and then he would rock like you, like as good as any, you know, better yeah. than anybody. He yeah. was an amazing musician. Yeah. Just incredible. Uh, look, you, uh, you brought an end to your breakfast radio days, uh, what, a few years ago. Um, was that a, a hard thing to say goodbye to? Uh, or, or was it, did you feel like it was time? No, it was. I was very disappointed being taken off the breakfast show. Really disappointed, and yep. and I've written about this in my book. Sure beats working. Got to plug it. Can uh, I just say that this came after what 21, 22, 22 years? Twenty two years. Yeah. How many weeks ruling that time slot? Over a hundred. Well, we had a hundred surveys. Hundred surveys, rather, which take thirteen what, and about a half. Weeks? Thirteen and a half years at number yeah, one. It's a station. phenomenal run. It was. It was almost incredible. unheard of. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. it really was. Sorry, keep going. I just That's wanted okay. to. Put that yeah. in there because you're so, probably too humble. So to I got taken off breakfast, and which just I was disappointed about. And yep. I, but I was glad that my last survey in the breakfast show, I went back to number one. Yeah, so I had dropped to number. You know, and that's you know, you drop one and you're out of there, and it's it's pretty annoying, you know. Uh, but maybe you know, and I I can't even say honestly that maybe I don't see it myself, but I mm. think I was still feeling okay about yeah. being on there. Anyway, it disappointed me, so I took my long service leave and I came yep. back to do. Uh, drive with Lisa. Yep, and uh, and then, but the, I, I'd been doing breakfast since 1971. Yeah, you know, it was I, your time. I, I couldn't day. work at the other end of the day, basically. Yeah, that, that was it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, the drive slot was a fairly short-lived thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, to walk away from that, then um, a, an easier decision for you uh, from from the drive slot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't worry. It, yeah. it was just time to get out of there. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you started sleeping in? Or do you, do, does your body still wake you up? At, oh, no, I wake up at six o'clock, hour. you know, but I got up at well, four, that is a four, four o'clock for how many, <laughs> how many years, you know, yeah. 45 years or something. Um, yeah. Uh, you do, you know. Yeah. You get up early. Radio, I think it's fair to say, has changed a lot uh, over the years. I dare say, uh, you know, bringing Bob, Bob Guild off to Perth for a week or hanging out with Neil Young and getting him on air for, you know, consecutive days, that stuff doesn't really happen anymore, does it? No. I, I, and I don't know why, I, I, uh, but you know, it was all about music. Yeah, it, but I think I think the emphasis on music isn't the same as it used to be. I mean, mm. we lived for the. I mean, I remember walking to the radio station and a, and a record rep would come in and they'd say, "Here's the latest release from so and so." You couldn't wait to get on the air yeah. and play this. I mean, you yeah. could, you don't. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, no, that's, it's, it, that's, that's community radio. Yeah, um, sort of mentality yes. now, isn't it? That's yeah. where you still get people who are just. Maybe that's there what I should go and do. <laughs> <laughs> there are some great. Community radio yes, stations uh, sure around, are. and yeah. I think they are still the places where your real music nuts yeah. still gravitate yeah. towards, because that's what it's about. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. The passion for music drives you to be on air, I think, yeah. Yeah. So what do you make of, uh, of, of commercial radio these days? Has it, has it kind of lost some of its uh, some of its importance or some of the, some of the love. I'll be really honest that, that you I haven't listened to, to commercial show? radio for a couple of years. Right, I've switched in on a couple of times and I just switch yeah. off. Uh, 
I mean, I know it's the mainstay of how they make their money, yep. but there's too many commercials. Yep. Uh, I mean, I got to the stage, one of the reasons was every time I opened my mouth, I was doing a spot. Yeah. You know, a commercial spot. And, you know, like, it gets it, it knocks you down a bit. Whereas once upon a time, you know, the radio that I really loved was to play as much music as you could in an hour mm. and do all the other commitments that you had to do and do that as creatively as you could. Yeah. And you would get off the air really satisfied. Yeah. You know? uh, and I think that's that's the, the radio that I really enjoyed and, mm. uh, and I would still enjoy listening to if it was like mm. that. But I don't. Uh, not that it's going to affect anybody. I listen to a. I've been listening to a radio station called Radio Paradise. Yep, that's an internet radio station I've listened to for years. I try and turn a lot of people onto it, and they always mm. thank me for it. Mm. Uh, Bill Goldsmith runs it. He's the same age as me, a former FM jock who just plays great music from yep. from all eras yep. and puts together great music sets. And that that's the only radio I listen to. Mm. I, yeah. Throughout your time uh, on radio here, particularly through you know through that incredible success at uh, at, at ninety four point five, um, you were very careful about showing your face, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, what? Why was that? Well, the I mean, I've seen footage of you where, you where you're wearing masks, yeah. or you've got a, an iPad up in front of your, your face, sort of maybe showing your eyes, but nothing, well, nothing was, more. Well, I got into radio by accident. Right? Yeah. So you know, there's that that difference where you don't want to be a radio star. You mm. know, me, I got into radio because I loved radio. Yeah. It wasn't about being a personality. Yeah. So when I and and not that it's a you know people are great, but yeah, I everybody knew me in New Zealand, you know, because I'd been on TV on telethons and things like that. And you go out and wife would say, oh, you know, the, yeah, can we not just go out for a night without being and nobody's being a hassle, yeah. being nice, you know. And, and yeah. Manny had the same thing. This is the thing you're talking about, you know. Yeah. And so when it came to Perth, I said to Gary, I'm not going to show my face. Yeah. Uh, I want to look. And and the, the thinking behind it was, I could live a normal life. Mm. I could go to the, you know, people don't recognize me, you know. When you, it's a different story when people recognize you, you know, than you're just an ordinary person. On the other hand, I'd go into a lot of shops and I'd ask for a pint of milk. And, and they go, it's oh, you. hang on. You know? uh, <laughs> yeah. That, I lived a, no, a bit of a normal life. I could go to the footy and so, shut so that, head off. And, that did have uh, some some success, oh, that, that it, obscuring it, it, of and your then, And then it became the thing. It became a it, thing. It became a thing. Yeah. You know? But the re- that was the reason I started to do that. I wanted that anonymity to just be a radio voice. Yeah. That's that's what I really wanted to, to do. Yeah. So And we made the most of that over the years. Yeah. Um, of course, now you know. I'm sure when people still hear your voice, uh, they know who you are straight away. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it blows me out even to this day. Yeah. I mean, I was up in the in, in the hills, and I just called into a shop to pick something up the other day, and this woman goes, "Oh, it's you!" Yeah. You know, uh, which is the nicest thing. Yeah. Know? Can I just just on your your voice? You mentioned before about going out and having a having a smoke with Bob Geldof. Were you a smoker? Were you a heavy heavy smoker? Has that contributed in any way to your voice? I smoked cigarettes for thirty five years. Yeah. yeah, but I gave up when I turned fifty, so I haven't smoked for twenty one years. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it didn't. My, I, I don't think that I don't think it does anything to your voice. Yeah, it's probably bad for your voice. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, so that wasn't the kind though, of smoke I was uh, talking about. Either. You would have you would have <laughs> sucked a few darts down in, the, in in that length of time then. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I used to smoke about twenty to thirty a day, forty on the weekends. Yeah, right. I, I did, you know, but um, yeah, it never bothered me, you know, because I, I was fit and healthy. I, yeah, I, I, you know, let's not go into that. But, mm. you know. mm. um, post uh, ninety four point five, you did uh, then do a little bit with ninety six yeah, uh, yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to well, where you started. Well, that what was sort of how it was described. What happened was, I when, when I was at ninety six and originally in the eighties, yeah. I used to do a rock classic show on a, a Sunday morning, yeah. from nine to twelve, which yeah. became a really popular show. Yep. So uh, 
I was asked to Brad McNally said, "Hey, do you want to do the Rock Classic show again?" Yeah. So that's what I started to do. I went back to to start doing the Rock Classic show. Yeah. And then that developed into, well, you know, if, if you guys are on holiday, you know, jocks are going on holiday, mm. I don't mind filling in. Mm. So that's that's what happened. So I was yep. doing bits and pieces, and that suited me fine, mm. you know, just doing that. And you're still lending your, your vocal talents to uh, to various promos and announcements on Channel 7? Definitely. Well, I've yeah. had that gig, you know, for I, when I came to Perth, the job offer was to work at 96FM, and Gary had arranged the, the voiceover job at uh, Channel 7 for yeah. me. And, uh, so, and I've been there all, all these years. Yeah. yeah. And how many how many you know hours a week you devote into that? Is that is it? Does it? Do you still even consider that a job? No, no. It, you, know. you just go in and do your thing. It's well, yeah. It's it, it. You know, anything you really like isn't a job, is no. it? You know, I just do what I do, and and also my. It's great that my job doesn't take long to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's especially if you if you nail it first time, which I'm sure you're pretty good at doing these days. Um, which I imagine gives you a little bit of spare time. What are you doing now? You mentioned before that you know you had three kids there back in New Zealand. Yeah. Now, what what do you do to to fill your days? Uh, I play golf. Yeah. You know, uh, I live across the road from a golf course. Handy, so that's nice and handy. <laughs> I started playing golf oh, when I turned fifty, actually. Yeah. When my knees gave up. When, when I you, when you gave up the ciggies. You no, know, well, yeah. yeah, that and, and yeah. windsurfing. My knees had taken a thrashing, right. and, and a friend of mine got me into playing golf, which I, I really enjoy. I, yeah. So I, I play. Uh, I love playing golf. You walk uh, the course or uh, yeah, go, always. The, go the buggy? No, no. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I love yeah. it. And I play on a hilly course too. You know, I, yeah. I, That's the important thing. I, I, fitness is, and yeah. health is yep. important to me. Uh, and I I just listen to a, a lot of music. Mm. I, I, you know, music is uh, – and my wife's the same. My music mm. is, is part of our lives yep. and always has been. And I still love going to gigs more than anything else. Yeah. To a live concert. Bob Dylan's coming soon. He is. Really looking forward to seeing him again. Yes. Every time he comes, you think this might be the last opportunity. Exactly right. And, and that's like, happening with a lot of artists now. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit sad, isn't it? Uh, would you ever go back to New Zealand? Uh, I would. Yeah, I would. But, I mean, I love it here too. But mm. my wife and, and um, you know, my, my wife has a, a practice here and uh, she, it's good for her to stay. Mm. She's made a lot of friends here over the years, yep. you know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I could go back, but I could stay here. It's, yeah. I, I don't dislike yeah. living here. It's a great city to live in. Well, the airwaves of uh, of Perth and WA would certainly miss you if you did uh, up and go, Fred. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> it's such a familiar voice uh, to so many people uh, in the city and in the States. Uh, but, look, uh, it's been fantastic hearing some more of your story as well, so we appreciate you coming in and sharing it with us. Thanks for giving me the chance to do that. That is uh, Fred Bodica, uh, his inspiring story here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you uh, joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.